Well, I'm going to be speaking today, and the title of my sermon is Just Say the Word. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 following. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed." And the servant was healed that very moment. Matthew chapter 8 is coming into a period where Matthew is recounting 10 miracles. See, just before Matthew chapter 8, we've had the great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And that Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached, how to live the spirit-filled life. That showed us the authority of Christ's word to follow. So Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And they couldn't believe the note of authority with which Jesus spoke and taught. A pattern for Christian living. The authority of Jesus' word, Matthew 5 to 7. But in Matthew 8 to 10, we now look at the authority of Jesus' deeds, his mighty works. He wasn't just a mighty teacher with the pattern of how to live life and follow him in discipleship, but he was also the mighty intervener, that he had power not just to give instruction on life, but he had power to engage with life, break into circumstances, and change things by his power. This is a place where we discover that Jesus is able to do whatever he wants to do. And the centurion's, the way that the centurion acted with Jesus, Jesus says, here's an example of great faith. In these 10 miracles, where we've just read the first two, the leper and the centurion, you'll see that there are examples of how to relate to Jesus and his power and authority. You've got the example of the leper, you've got the example of the centurion, 
You've got the great example of the woman with the issue of blood that pressed right in and touched the hem of his garment. You've got the example of the two blind men who called out and, and got their healing. So here in these passages, we're going to see the fact that Jesus is all-powerful with all authority all of the time. But we're also, in these two examples, going to see how faith in who Jesus is and in faith in what he can do uh, can cause divine interventions to take place in natural events. We'll start with the leper, but my main focus is the centurion, but we'll start with the leper. We see in this leper great faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus is able to do. You notice immediately because it says a leper came to him. It's just said that large crowds have followed Jesus. So they're all around him. His popularity is great. He's in crowds. And then this leper, a leper is not allowed by the Mosaic law to approach anyone because of the contagiousness of leprosy. He would make them unclean. It was forbidden. He could have been killed by Mosaic law for daring to approach people. So the first thing is you see this leper, he is breaking boundaries to get to Jesus. There was something he'd understood about Jesus, that Jesus had the ability to heal him and change his circumstances. And so he presses in and he moves towards him. He then bows and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I've, I've heard preachers speak about the leper's faith where, and, and his question, if you are willing, you can make me clean. As if somehow the, centur the uh, leper had a deficient faith. Because Jesus' response is, I am willing, be cleansed. And so I've heard preachers say, well, you see, this was the problem. The leper didn't realise that Jesus is always willing to heal all of the time. So the leper had a deficient faith. Not true. Because Jesus is not willing all of the time to heal. If he was, I wouldn't be standing before you nine years a diabetic. So, you know, this isn't a deficiency in his faith. No, rather, it, it speaks of a wholeness and a maturity of faith in Jesus. You see, he had total confidence that Jesus could heal him if he desired. But also, he came to him in submission. He wanted Christ's will to be done in his life. Even if that meant that what he'd like Christ to do, he, hadn't, he, he, he didn't. What I mean is, even if, even if what he'd asked Jesus to do, if Jesus decided not to do, it was okay by him. So there was a note of, you can do this, I have total faith that you can heal me, that's why I've approached you. But it's your will. If you want at this moment in time to heal me, I know that you can. And Jesus responded and said to him, I want to at this moment be healed and touched him. He himself broke the Mosaic code by touching a leper and he was cleansed. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the leper would have done if Jesus had said, no, to heal you at this moment is not my will. What would he have done? Would he have gone away with bitterness? Would he have been angry? What would he have done in that moment? Then we come to the centurion. And uh, here is an, another amazing example of interacting with the all-powerful Jesus. Like the leper, 
the centurion approaches Jesus. Like the leper, the the centurion gets his attention and intercedes, prays, requests him to do something. Now, the centurion was not requesting for himself, but his servant that was paralyzed and in terrible torment. We have to think about who this centurion was. He wasn't just a soldier. He was a representative, a powerful representative of the authority and power of the Roman Empire, the greatest empire that the world had ever seen to that date. And this centurion was over around 100 men. And, uh, and he had power and authority in that area to do what he wanted. Now, in Luke's account of this uh, miracle, we find a little bit more detail that the centurion was a God-fearer. In other words, he was open to the God of the Jews. In fact, he even helped finance a local synagogue. But the picture of him, with all these crowds around, remember the animosity between the majority of Jews and the Roman Empire. And here he is, in his armour, in his regalements, in all his glory as a centurion of the great imperial Caesar army. And here he is, and he is begging. The word imploring isn't strong enough. He is begging Jesus, pleading with him to heal his son. You see, the centurion recognized the limits of the authority that was given to him. He had authority delegated by Caesar over a hundred men and that was great authority. He could tell those men what to do and they would have to do it and he could coerce if he desired any of the local population to do whatever he wanted them to do because of the might of those hundred warriors. But when he comes to Jesus, he comes to Jesus because he knows what he's facing is out of his ability, out of his authority remit. He doesn't have authority to deal with his servant's sickness. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But then we have this response by the centurion who compares his understanding of natural human authority with spiritual authority. And he says, hey, look, there's no need, you you don't need to come because I know who you are. I've had an insight into who you are, Jesus. You don't need to come because I know how authority works. In my own life of authority as a centurion, I know how it works. I tell people under my authority and power, those 100 men, to go and they go, to come and they come, to fight and they fight. They'll lay down their lives on my orders. I have total authority over the regiment. I also have servants. I tell them what to do. I understand that when I tell them to look after me, they look after me. Cook the meal, they cook the meal. I know how authority works. If you have authority over someone or something, they have to do what you say. Therefore, just say the word and he will be healed. This incredible insight by this God-fearing centurion that Jesus was all-powerful and just needed to say a word and whatever he said, whenever he said it, would come to pass because Jesus had spiritual authority, unlimited authority and unlimited power to back up that authority. I was uh, studying the definition of power 
What do we mean when we say power? Someone is powerful, or, or that's a powerful army, or that's a powerful politician, or that, that's a power, powerful popular media person. What do we mean by power? And the, the definition that I like best was when I was reading a book, and a professor said that the definition of power is this. The definition of power, power equals resources and motive. Power equals resources and motive. Motive means your reason for doing something. So in other words, if you have resources and a motive to do something with those resources, you are powerful. Think about this. Think about a political authority. Political authority has the resources of an army or a police force or tax inspectors to put their authority into practice. Sometimes you see nations that have political rulers and they have authority. Well, they don't really because they've got no power. The army's against them and uh, causes a coup to happen. Or they can't raise the taxes because the tax officials are corrupt and not listening to the authority. And, and so it just, it just dissolves their power. They don't have the resources to fulfill their motive or mandate in the political realm. I think about rich and influential financiers and bankers in the world. Well, they are rich and influential and can exert their will in many different arenas. Why? They have the resources of wealth. And so whatever they want to do with that wealth, their motive, resources plus motive equals power, they can or the movers and shakers of the world, those that are popularists, and uh, behind them, uh, they have an agenda, they have a manifestate, manifesto, but where's their power come from? It's people power. They, they have a power base of people that are behind them. Resources, motive, power. But what is spiritual authority? You see, all these examples I've given you, it's temporal authority. And, and the resources that these men and women are using is temporary. And also, uh, these resources um, can run out. Uh, they don't, they're not ongoing. They're not unlimited, the resources that politicians or media people or bankers have. That there are limited resources to their power. But spiritual power is different. Because Jesus is the Word who was God and is God... He is the word that created the whole universe that contains all the resources that there is. All the material resources, the energy resources, the wealth resources. All these things came from Jesus. And although the universe is absolutely huge, it will blow our minds to think about it, it's still limited. But Jesus is unlimited in his resources because he comes with the resources of the Father in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus does not draw on the limited resources of human power. You know, some of the disciples said, come on, let, let's raise an army and defeat the Romans. And Jesus said, I've not come to use the resources of military might. I've not come to use the resources of political popularism. When he got so popular, what did he do? He withdrew from the crowds because he knew that his power and authority did not lie in his popularity, but in his obedience to the Father. 
So the centurion recognized, and so did the leper, by the way, that Jesus had not just the authority over all things, but the power to do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted. This is what the centurion understood. And this is important for us because sometimes in our lives, it appears to us as humans in our frail condition that God does not seem to have unlimited authority because it looks like the devil is in control of some area or aspect. It looks like sickness is in control. It looks like that sin is reigning, not the kingdom of God. It looks like unbelief is in control. So we find ourselves in our lives, yes, seeing the power of God, but also many times not seeing the power of God. Here I am, years and years, a diabetic, seeing the power of God in some areas, but not yet in my body. And so we need the faith of the centurion to understand this, that God, Jesus, is all-powerful. All authority, he said, has been given to me on the earth, above the earth, beneath the earth, wherever you want to go. go. I have all authority and the resources to do my will for the Father's glory. And where is Jesus right now? He's at the... Amen. Well, good. Well done. Good. Good. (laughs) Signs that it's going all right. We Pentecostals, that's why we like responses, because we're so insecure. So he is, he's on the throne right now. That's where he is. And he just has to speak the word, and anything can happen at any time on the earth. Now, I want us to get a fresh revelation of this, so that we can have confidence with God when he acts, but also the same confidence with God when he doesn't act. What if Jesus had said to the centurion, No. What would be his response? What if he'd come and said, heal my servant, and Jesus, he's not under the authority of that centurion. You can heal him. No, it's not my will to do that at this present moment. What would the centurion have done? I'll tell you what he wouldn't have done. He wouldn't have taken his sword, placed it to the neck of Jesus, and said, "Uh, I think you're going to change your mind Soldiers, bring him down uh, to my house. And by the way, if you want to come out of my house alive, there's going to be a healed servant. What would that be? That would be an exertion, wouldn't it, of his authority and his human power to try and force Jesus to do his will. We have to be careful that we don't uh, do that with the Lord sometimes. Try and get him over a barrel of guilt or something. Not that, it, not that he'll be over it. And why won't you do this, God? You need to do it now. My time, my will be done, my intervention. And, uh, and we rudely go to the Lord and tell him his business. And if he doesn't do it, we're angry with him, we're resentful, we withdraw, we don't understand, we, we, we say maybe he's not all-powerful, and, and all manner of unbelief enters because Jesus happened to say no. Not at this time. Well, here, I believe the centurion would say, as you wish, Lord, and walk away knowing enough about Jesus to know that there must be some bigger picture here that the centurion hadn't worked out yet. How many of you know there is the little picture that we're all living in 
how we feel the way that we see things, how we understand what's going on, what we think the Lord should do about it. And that little picture is very important. It's very important to the Lord. But you know there is a bigger picture, not just a bigger national picture, not just a bigger global picture, not just a bigger universal picture, but an eternal picture in which God the Son is working and saying the words of command. You see, Jesus is not an insecure Pentecostal preacher. He doesn't have to assert his power and demonstrate his power so that everybody knows that he's the man of power for the hour. Jesus never had to do that. He didn't didn't have to display his power. When he touched the leper, he said, off you go, uh... Go to the priest, he'll declare you uh, medically healed, but uh, don't tell anyone about it. If that happened to charismatics today and they touched a leper, there would be magazines, television programs, documentaries, and, uh, and we better be careful that it would be all about the person who God used. It's a danger, it's a danger. Jesus didn't feel the need to display his power. Have you seen some of those nations? Often they're dictatorial nations or communist nations and they love their parades. North Korea, another parade. Oh, I wonder what the parade's going to be today. It's the same as it was yesterday. They're getting out all their missiles. You have to guess which are real and which aren't. And they're going to parade them in front of the same army and they're going to put them on the television. It's a show of might and power. Why are they doing that? Well, they're exhibiting how powerful they think they are. Uh, And that could be stemmed to some sort of insecurity complex. We really are powerful. Look, here's the parade. Jesus doesn't need to do that. And so when we approach Jesus, and note, these people approach Jesus. They weren't just sitting back saying, well, I guess the Lord knows where I am. If he wants to do something about the situation I'm in, I'll just wait. and, And if he wants to do something, he'll do something. No. What about the lepers, and there were many of them, that didn't approach Jesus like this leper? Did they get healed? Did they get a divine intervention? What about the other centurions, or the other Roman soldiers, or other officials of the Roman Empire uh, with sickness and problems? Did they get healed from the master? What about later on in these passages, the woman with the issue of blood? pressed on in, right through the crowd, breaking every taboo of the time, touching the hem, power touching into her life, and she was healed. What about the Syrophoenician woman? She came and the disciples said, no, not today, he's busy. She brushed the disciples apart, spoke to Jesus, he ignored her. When she finally got in his face, she said, he said, it's not good to give bread to the dogs. She wouldn't give up because she knew he had power and authority and she kept pressing in and she said, even the dogs get the crumbs. And Jesus was astonished, marveled at her, her faith. He marveled at the centurion's faith. In fact, the, this is the only time in Matthew's gospel that we find Jesus astonished. And he is astonished by the thinking and faith reasoning of this centurion. 
We could do a lot worse than, than start thinking like the centurion thinks, approaching God like the centurion approached Jesus and being willing to believe God, whether he intervenes today or not, whether he says yes or no, we believe that he has all authority, all power, so if he's holding back on something, there's a bigger purpose that one day we'll say, thank God you didn't do it that day, Lord. I couldn't see it then, I see it now. How many have been in that position? I've been in that position. I've been in that position many years ago. There was a situation, a circumstance. It was all over. I mean, it was all over. And I sat on that bench just down the road here. There's a little part. I sat on that bench and said, it's done. It's finished. It's over. God didn't come through for me. And I thought, he could have, but he didn't. And I went away. I was dejected. God had missed his moment. And yet three weeks, God had turned everything around. It was a lesson. You've had that lesson too. Trusting the Lord. Not sitting back and doing nothing, but approaching him. Both approached him. Interceding. Pleading. Knowing that he has the power. That if he just says the word, then the power will come with the word. Just say it, Lord. Recognition. But if he hasn't said the word, the same faith, the same respect, the same submission to authority, knowing that though I want you to, Lord, you have not yet, but I'm deepening my faith and understanding of who you are. If you, if you refuse to say the word now, it's because you've got a better word that will come. I trust you. I walk in it. You become strong in your faith. You're not just on a whimsical Christian journey. Whereas if things happen good to you, Jesus is on his throne. If things all go pear-shaped, the devil's kicked Jesus off his throne. Uh, No, God is on his throne 100% of the time. With 100% of the power. 100% of the goodness. 100% of the love. 100% for you. Whatever happens, he is the sun at its zenith. It's noontime. Jesus is shining brightly. He never dims. Sometimes the cloud of circumstances passes over your life and it looks dark. But you know the sun is still shining as bright behind the cloud. And how many of you know the cloud will move, the sun remains. Just say the word. Just speak the word. But if not, there's a reason. That's why God wants us to press in like the centurion. God wants us to be like the Syrophoenician woman. God wants us to ask and keep asking. To knock and not knock once and then say, oh, well, nobody's home. But to keep knocking. Keep knocking because we know behind that door is the answer and his name is Jesus. Keep seeking. Not seek once. You didn't find. And then withdraw into yourself. But keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking, keep believing that your Father in heaven cares more about what you need than your Father on earth, who, who, who would not give you scorpion for bread. God knows what's best for you. God knows what's best for me. God will bring it to pass in his time, in his way. He will speak the word, but he loves his children to come to him because that's where we grow in relationship. I believe we've got some Turians in the house today. 
I believe we've got some lepers in the house today. I believe we've got some Syrophoenicians in the house today. I believe we've got some people with the issue of blood. I'm not talking about their condition, but I'm talking about their respect and understanding that the devil is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is so Lord, he is so Lord that he can use the enemy to do his ultimate good. So strong meat this morning. It'll cause you to rise and to be strong. It'll cause you to be strong in the times of difficulty and darkness. You'll keep shining, you'll keep burning, you'll keep believing, you'll keep trusting. And often what God does in your life when he doesn't say the word is far more precious than when he does say the word. He could have given, God could have given Abraham Isaac in a moment miracle. But the journey to receiving Isaac was more important than the receiving of Isaac himself. Why? Because it purified Abraham from trust issues he had with the Lord. He had his Ishmael, he gave his wife up twice. He had to learn to trust God because God had spoken what he was going to do, but he hadn't yet said the word and commanded it to take place. And in that gap between promise and command, a man was made who was the friend of God, mature in faith. And when God said, take your son and sacrifice him, Abraham said, I'll sacrifice him because you promised in my seed would be Isaac. He's not had any kids, so you'll just have to raise him from the dead. The maturity of faith. 